everyone, and once again, welcome to the palatial, spacious, and ever-exciting Ultimate Sports Talk radio studios. I'm Dave Mitchell. Welcome to the Ultimate Sports Talk show here on this Thursday night, our weekly get-together where we can sit down and talk about all facets of sports, and we're going to sit back tonight and talk about the Big Ten and what's going on in the conference this year. Will Ohio State manage to run the table again, or will Michigan come back? Will Wisconsin be a good team? What's Northwestern going to do this year? We're going to answer all those questions coming up in our second half hour here this evening. I am Dave Mitchell. You can join us here on tonight's show. You can send us an email at dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can join the show simply by sending us a tweet, and our Twitter address is ohbbcohost. C-O-H-O-S-T. Major League Baseball is going to institute a challenge system next year. Bernie Kozar and his confessional during broadcasts. And this weekend, ESPN gets some competition. We're going to start out with what Major League Baseball is going to be doing. And it appears, as they announced this afternoon, they are going to implement a challenge system similar to that used by the NFL. This is being reported by the Associated Press via several sources inside Major League Baseball. The changes are reportedly going to be finalized at the owners' meetings in this coming November, where a 75% vote is going to be needed for approval, and it's expected that they will get it, and really, they need to. The state of umpiring in Major League Baseball right now is so bad that you could change probably about 70 to 80% of controversial calls just simply with a video system. Now, the AP is reporting that managers will be allowed two challenges over the first six innings of ball games and then one in the seventh inning. Calls that are challenged will then be reviewed by a crew in the Major League Baseball headquarters in New York City. Now, we're going to go all the way back to New York City to review a play that has been held, let's just say, for example, at Chavez Ravine in Los Angeles. Why can't these sports leagues simply institute what the NCAA has done that is a positive effect on games and have a replay official at every venue that simply goes through and looks at the controversial plays and rules? That way, in baseball, you don't have the umpires leaving the field. In football, you don't have the head referee going into a booth. You just simply go up to the press box, go to that official. He looks over the play. It takes him 30 seconds, and the game continues. Imagine how long baseball games will now be if both managers use their complement of three challenges. That's six breaks in a game, along with pitching changes, along with visits to the mound, plus the two and a half minutes of delays that you have in between each and every inning. Baseball games are going to be longer now. Braves president John Shoreholtz, who's a member of the replay committee, and he noted that the umpires are collectively on board with the changes, which is a surprise. He also said that 89% of incorrect calls would be reviewable. Now, there's no specific word on whether or not this includes balls and strikes. I doubt seriously if the umpires union would go along with balls and strikes being challenged. First of all, how do you ever implement it? There are so many balls and strikes, it's still got to be done by the human element. Now, plays that can be reviewed are home runs, although don't ask Angel Hernandez about those. Plays at first base, plays at second base. Home plate plays, of course, they could be uh, done also. There are just an array of things that could be reviewable in Major League Baseball. And I think it's a good change. I think the umpires need help. For some reason, the game has sped up on them. And I think this is going to be the kind of thing that will be a positive effect, except for the time frame. Well, Pete Rose seems to be getting a lot of invites to speak on different radio stations lately. And it's mainly because of the Biogenesis scandal and, of course, his lifetime suspension. Well, Monday, on a Pittsburgh radio station, CBS radio station, Pete had some interesting comments on his banishment from the game. 
you know, first of all, you have to understand, uh, uh, I don't call these guys to do the uh, shows. They call me. Of course, with all this steroid talk and, and the 12 guys being suspended and A-Rod appealing, uh, uh, you know, they want, they want my input because I'm suspended for life. And, uh, hey, everything's a different case. I made mistakes. I can't, uh, I can't whine about it. I'm the one that messed up and I'm paying the consequences. But however, if I'm ever given a second chance, I won't need a third chance. And I just picked, to be honest with you, I picked the wrong vice. I should have picked alcohol. I should have picked drugs or I should have picked, uh, beat, beating up my wife or my girlfriend because if you do those three, you get a second chance. But, uh, they haven't given too many gamblers second chances in the world of baseball. The funny thing is, even though Pete is being blunt to the point and some media people think rather crass, he's absolutely correct. Look at the Steve Howe situation. Seven drug suspensions by Major League Baseball. He got back on each and every one of them. Why? Well, you could say it was because he played in Los Angeles and New York. Nonetheless, it doesn't matter. The thing is, is that Pete is absolutely correct. You've had baseball players out there that have beaten their wives. You've had baseball players out there that have committed DUIs. But I thought the most interesting argument this week for reinstating Pete Rose to the game of baseball came from the mouth of Stephen A. Smith on ESPN. Stephen A. Smith made a very eloquent and persuasive argument on first take with Skip Bayless that baseball was being hypocritical from the standpoint that they would not allow Pete Rose back but yet, if they wanted everybody to take this investigation into the Biogenesis scandal seriously, why were they allowing Mark McGuire, who was one of the spearheads, you can look back at the 1998 season and see that Bud Selig allowed this all to happen, and it probably helped propel baseball into the 2000s, into the next century, and the reason that Bud Selig did, he wanted that home run chase between McGuire and Sammy Sosa, whom had never had the year like he did in 1998, to go after Roger Maris's record. He turned a blind eye toward what the two were doing, toward what Roger Clemens apparently was doing, Andy Pettit and several other players, and let this happen. Now Bud Selig wants to clean it up. But how can he clearly clean it up by allowing Mark McGuire to be the hitting coach for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Here you've got someone who is a main proponent of what Bud Selig is standing against with the suspensions that he just instituted two weeks ago, and he's still in the game. Yet, you keep Pete Rose out of the game. Why is it that every player that was suspended that was outside of New York did not appeal. The only player in New York was A-Rod. What's he doing? He's appealing. I find that less than curious. I mean, that is the type of thing that just invites people to think that baseball is being hypocritical. And one other thing about Pete Rose and gambling in baseball. If gambling in baseball is so bad, so atrocious, and According to everybody that you listen to, the number one sin for any player, manager, owner, general manager, anybody involved in the game could do, that there's a sign-up in every locker room. You hear that all the time. Sign-up in every locker room. Do not bet on baseball. And if Pete Rose is the poster child, let me ask this question. Why is it in the state of Ohio? The Ohio lottery tickets are sold at Progressive Field and Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. Why does baseball allow that? If they're so dead set against gambling, why are those lottery tickets allowed to be sell sold in the ballpark? Also, why are casinos allowed to be advertising in not only major league ballparks, but on local radio stations that carry the ball games? Why is that happening? And on top of it, why then does Major League Baseball have a minor league team in Las Vegas? If they're so dead set against gambling, not only with Pete Rose, but they also remember this, back in the 70s, they suspended Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays, 
two of the greatest names this game has ever had play. They suspended them until they quit working for a casino in Las Vegas. All they were doing was greeting and lending their name to that casino. Major League Baseball banned them until they quit that job. Now, if they can handle and will, why can't they do that for Pete Rose? That's the question. Well, the NFL really would like you to know that the preseason games are less than entertaining, and that's why Roger Goodell has been trying for the last two years to get the NFL preseason games from four down to two and increasing the regular season games to 18. Now, the Players Union has really been against it, but look at it this way. If we didn't have the preseason games, what would everybody complain about, especially Jeff Fisher? Evidently, the St. Louis Rams are such a good football team after their first preseason game. The only thing Jeff Fisher had to complain about or worry about after his first game loss to the Cleveland Browns on last Thursday night in Cleveland were the comments that Bernie Kosar made on his fourth quarter quarterback, Kellen Clemens. Now, if Jeff Fisher is so concerned about comments that Bernie Kosar made, I'm running to Vegas right now. I'm getting a flight out to Vegas right now, and I'm going to lay a hundred bucks on the St. Louis Rams to win the Super Bowl this year because obviously this team has no problems whatsoever. They've got outstanding players, and they're going to run through the regular season unbeaten, and they're going to win the Super Bowl this year without a doubt. Jeff Fisher was so upset with Bernie Kosar over the comments that he made on the local broadcast for the Browns last week. And here's what he had to say when he found out that Kellen Clemens in the fourth quarter had given an autograph to Pope Benedict about five years Bless ago. Me, Father, I have to watch him the whole fourth quarter. That was an interesting comment. And I was watching the game at that time. It was after our show last Thursday night. That was probably the funniest thing I had ever heard Bernie Kozar say. Another thing that Bernie said, and I got rather upset at Jim Donovan, the Browns play-by-play voice, on TV that night. I felt Jim Donovan really kind of threw Bernie under the bus in the second quarter when Bernie was commenting that the Rams' receivers were terrible, were horrible. He even talked about Tavon Austin and a pass that he should have caught. Ask yourself this question, how many wide receivers in the NFL are 5 feet 8 inches tall? There's a reason that they're not 5'8", and that's because the quarterback has to change his throwing motion and has to change the arc of the ball in order to get it to a shorter receiver. Normally, NFL receivers are 6 feet to 6'6". Six, six. I think the tallest is, is uh, Plexico Burris. He's out right now. Nonetheless, you've got to adjust your throw for shorter receivers. I think that's why Tavon Austin was left in the draft so late and the Rams were able to pick him up. Nonetheless, one of the things that Bernie said was that the receivers were horrible. Jim Donovan tried to make a joke out of it and said, what do you think his parents would say? Bernie came back with, they would probably be embarrassed. They probably would be. But let's talk about this. That comment there, through Jeff Fisher and Peter King, the NFL contributor, into the outer ozone. Peter King accused Bernie of being drunk in the booth. Jeff Fisher said that he had lost all sorts of respect for Bernie Kosar. Let me ask you this. How was that comment any different than what Charlie Weiss in the Big 12 Conference media days, speaking about his Kansas team and how he goes into a parent's house and recruits their son? Listen to what he had to say about his team from a year ago returning this year. Everyone wants to play. There's no one that wants to not play. So I said, have you looked at that pile of crap out there? Uh, have you taken a look at that? So if you don't think you can play here, where do you think you can play? Pile of crap. If I was a father and my son was playing for Kansas 
and I had Charlie Weiss talking about my son as a pile of crap, Charlie Weiss would not be standing on the football field. He would have been decked. And how is that any different? I'm just throwing this up for a debate. How is that any different from what Bernie said that their parents would be embarrassed because they can't catch the ball as Rams wide receivers and Charlie Weiss calling his players a pile of crap. Rex Ryan yesterday talking about Geno Smith, his practice. Now remember, Geno Smith is coming off a sprained ankle. Rex Ryan called it brutal. His practice was brutal. This is coach speak. Why are we so concerned over what an announcer said in the booth about a player, for crying out loud. I want to see this. I'm going to watch the waiver wire for the next three weeks because if Jeff Fisher cuts Kellen Clemens off the Rams roster, everything Bernie Kosar said in that broadcast last Thursday night is verified, is validated. Jeff Fisher better keep Kellen Clemens on his team all year. Otherwise, it's Jeff Fisher that should lose respect for not only himself, but should lose respect around the NFL. Why is he complaining about an announcer in the booth when he can't even stand up and let Kellen Clemens know that he probably shouldn't be a quarterback in the NFL? And, you know, a lot of announcers are coming out and saying that these pregame, these preseason games mean absolutely nothing. Tell the players that are in these games in the third and fourth quarter that these games mean nothing. Tell them that. Tell these guys that are fighting for a spot on the 53-man roster, that are hanging on to their career, their livelihood, to put food on their table, to keep their family in their house, a roof over their heads. This is the way that they do it. And these preseason games mean the world to these guys. If they shrink the preseason games to just two, you're going to see a majority of the starters play. You're going to see the first couple, three games of the regular season be nothing than a get-ready-for-the-season type games. The NFL at least needs three preseason games, but you'll never see three. It'll always be an even number because then some teams would have two home games, other teams would have one out of those three. So it'll either be cut to two or it will stay at four. I say it has to stay at four. Well, ESPN is getting some competition this weekend. And the funny thing about it is, it is going to be from the new Fox Sports 1. Now, I am not a fan of Fox News. However, I am going to be tuning into this Fox Sports 1 tele television just to see how it is going to compare to ESPN. ESPN, over the past few years, has really become a caricature of itself. It has patted itself on the back. It now promotes the ESPYs like it's the Oscars. They put on films. They keep the announcers jumbled around so you really don't know who they are. Let's face it, the two most well-known sportscasters on SportsCenter for ESPN were Keith Olbermann and Dan Patrick. And when they got too big, ESPN forced them out. Just listen to Dan Patrick's talk show. He'll go ahead and he'll explain that to you. That's exactly what happens, is that they were forced out. Well, Fox Sports 1 is going to be interesting. They've brought a couple of guys down from Canada, and they're going to be hosting their version of Sports Center. They've brought in Regis Philbin to run a sports talk show at night. They're one channel. They're not Fox Sports 2, Fox Sports 3. ESPN has got so many channels now, you don't know which one to go to. I'm interested in seeing just what Fox Sports 1 is going to bring on board. Because let's face it, ESPN, they've become the TMZ. They've become the National Enquirer of sports reporting. And quite honestly, I'm growing tired of their act. I was tired of the Riley Cooper situation. I get tired of hearing about LeBron James all the time. And quite frankly, I'm ready for something fresh and new. 
I'm going to tune to Fox Sports 1, and we're going to see how that lasts. Well, also in college football, before we get into our Big Ten preview, South Carolina defensive end Jadavian Clowney's hit on Michigan running back Vince Smith in the Outback Bowl was the play of last year's college football season. Well, under the new rules this year, a similar tackle would get Clowney ejected. And this is what is really wrong with these rules that they call targeting. The change is known as the targeting rule, and it used to draw just a 15-yard penalty. This year, not only with the 15-yard penalty, the player will be ejected. Now, here's the problem. Clowney's hit appeared to be fundamentally perfect. It was right on. It knocked Smith helmets off, and there was no intent to spear or injure. Yet, the officiating coordinator of the ACC said recently Clowney would be ejected under the rule. Meanwhile, Steve Shaw, who holds the same position with the Southeastern Conference, said the same play would not be a foul. Akron U coach Terry Bowden on the Tim Brando Show on CBS Radio talked about this rule and how they're going to have to change the way they teach tackling. We never wanted to hurt people, but they're not just talking about just helmet shots. They're talking about the unprotected defender, hitting a guy when he's not looking, mm-hmm. hitting a guy when he's unprotected, and it's and, and this the, the lawsuits that are out there, and the need, the need to keep from causing concussion and from causing injury is going to cause us to uh, play the game. And I don't know, I saw rugby play the other day. I mean, they, they play without helmets, and they're <laughs> professional. And I, I don't know. I, I don't want to go to that game, but we're going to go to something similar to arm tackling or or, or keeping our head away from the, the contact point. There's going to be something different that's going to happen, and there's going to be a ton of. And the biggest problem is, is as our conference commissioner told us, they, they want to make the the the, the, the uh, new rule. They want to make it immediate and 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 severe. So now they're going to make it 15 yards and throw the player out. Right. They're going to make a ton of mistakes, and when, and when Oklahoma or Florida State or Alabama has yeah. their star defensive back thrown yeah. out of the game after one play, and it changes the outcome of the game, there's going to be some and some some major cries of cries of concern. And imagine that happening. Imagine an LSU playing Alabama and Ohio State playing Michigan, and a key player in the defensive secondary gets thrown out on a very questionable call by the official especially if it's on the visiting team, you're going to have major problems, and that's what college football is opening itself up to. We're going to be back and talk to the coaches in the Big Ten and go through the Big Ten preview for the 2013 season. We'll do that right after this timeout. by Mark Donahue. Available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. And you can also order Mark Donahue's book on UltimateSportsTalk.com. It's on the homepage, just on the right-hand side. Click and order your copy today. Probably the super conference in college football that gets the least amount of respect today is the Big Ten. It doesn't matter what teams win. That team isn't good enough to beat anyone in the SEC. Ohio State is currently ranked second in the country in the coaches' poll. However, there is still some laughing at that pick, never mind that the Buckeyes were 12-0 one year ago under Urban Meyer. Chris Wilson from Fox Sports is one of those reporters that thinks the Buckeyes being ranked second is a joke. I'm a little surprised that Ohio State and Texas A&M got first place votes and Alabama wasn't a consensus number one. But uh, the Ohio State votes are at two is a little weird just because I thought maybe respect for Oregon. People are maybe nervous about Chip Kelly leaving. Stanford, another one of the SEC teams. Ohio State went 12-0 last year, but they only bring four starters back on defense. They've had some potential suspensions looming. Braxton Miller basically is their offense. If he gets hurt, then things go sour pretty quickly. But, yeah, my surprise would probably be Ohio State at two. Otherwise, the rest of the poll pretty much makes sense. You have the Big 12 is going to be wide open this year, and you can see that in the middle of the poll where it's Oklahoma State, Texas, and Oklahoma, 14, 15, 16, because no one knows what's going to happen in that league. I'm looking at Baylor, which is 29th if you look at the also-receiving votes. They're going to start 7-0, and barring some major upset. 
and then they play in their final five games, those four ranked Big 12 teams, Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and TCU. And another team to keep an eye on is Northern Illinois, your MAC champions from last year who played in the Orange Bowl. They are 38. They bring back Jordan Lynch, the great quarterback, and seven other starters from their offense. They have games at Iowa and Purdue. If they get past those, it's going to be a double-digit easy on the win column for Northern Illinois. If you listen to what Wilson had to say, it was positives about every team that he mentioned except for the Buckeyes, and it was always a negative about the Buckeyes. And that is the prevailing commentary of most pundits around college football today. Still, the Big Ten has five top 25 teams entering this year. Adam Azer and Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports talk about the Big Ten, what to expect this year, and the best players entering the season. Well, obviously you have to start with Braxton Miller, the quarterback at, uh, at Ohio State, probably behind Johnny Manziel, the number one Heisman Trophy candidate this season. They relied on him so much in the first half of the season. He was basically all they had going on offense. Now that changed. But it should tell you something, that he's the leading returning rusher in the Big Ten this year. Um, mm. That's how much they leaned on him last year. At Michigan tackle, Taylor Lewin, uh, he's a, a big deal has been made out of his diet, which has left him with only 5% body fat. He made it a leaner lineman in the country, coming off, by the way, uh, a pretty good game against a guy named Jadavian Clowney in the bowl game. Now, there was a much publicized screw-up on the uh, on the Vincent Smith hit, which everybody has seen on YouTube, but Taylor Lewis thinks he's had the best, he had one of his best games of his career against Clowney in that game, so take that for what it's worth. Um, Taylor Martinez, the, the quarterback, just keeps pumping along in, in Nebraska, you know, as a freshman, was a Heisman Trophy candidate the first half of the year before he hurt his leg, and he is maybe all they have, pretty much all they have on offense this year. And as a, as a senior, you would expect him to progress. They would like to get off the schneid there at Nebraska, where they keep losing four games and winning nine every year. So, those are probably the best offensive players right now. The best defensive players, Dennis. Well, I'm going to pick two from one team, Adolphus Washington and Noah Spence, defensive end, defensive tackle at Ohio State. These two guys combined for seven sacks in the spring game. They are names to watch. They're going to be stars. Noah Spence was one of the top five defensive players to come out in his, uh, in his recruiting year. Marcus Rush, a, uh, a lineman from a kind of a stand-up defensive lineman at, at Michigan State, Started as a walk-on, a really effort guy. Uh, even though Michigan State has struggled offensively and struggled overall last year, the defense did not betray them. Michigan State led the Big Ten in, uh, in average points allowed per game. So those probably three are best. Player to watch in the Big Ten? I think Christian Hackenberg at Penn State. He's uh, he's only he's a true freshman, obviously number one quarterback recruit. Only arrived on campus in June. Uh, but is right in the mix to become the starting quarterback. And I think if you read the tea leaves, he is going to be the starting quarterback. Let's talk about coaches now, Dennis. Who's the best coach in the Big Ten? Uh, pretty easy. Urban Meyer, he's won two national championships, one undefeated in his first season at Ohio State. We'll start the season, obviously, in the top five, if not the top two. And I would say, followed right behind that, Bill O'Brien. Um, just because of what he's done in that first year at Penn State, I he's only been a head coach for one year, but that is not insignificant. Won the Paul or won, won the Bear Bryant uh, Coach of the Year award last year after going eight and four, as you described. Great things ahead for him. Now I know there's been guys there longer, Pat Fitzgerald, Kirk Ferentz, who kind of dropped off the map. But I think those two are probably the best overall coaches in the Big Ten right now. Uh, best quarterback wide receiver combo in the conference. Well, this is really hard because. The best quarterback is not a great thrower, Braxton Miller, and there's not many great throwers after that. I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. No Big Ten receiver averaged 100 yards last year. I guess that's not surprising in the Big Ten. Only one caught uh, for a total of 1,000 yards, and that was Allen Robinson at, uh, at Penn State. He also had 11 receiving touchdowns. I'm going to go with him and Hackenberg. I, I guess I'm predicting Christian Hackenberg is going to win that job at Penn State, he's going to lean heavily on Allen Robinson, who should have, after a breakout year, probably a dominant year with a better thrower, really, than Matt McGloin uh, throwing to him this year. Adam Azer and Dennis Dodd, courtesy of CBS Sports, looking over the Big Ten Conference this year. Now let's get into 
what we think is going to happen here at the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. First of all, let's start out with that dreaded team up north, the Michigan Wolverines. They were 8-5 a year ago, 6-2 and two in conference play, and against top 25 teams, 1-3. and three. Brady Hoke and Michigan look to reclaim the Big Ten and get back into the BCS title hunt this year. Most of the excitement hinges upon Devin Gardner becoming a leader at quarterback and replacing Denard Robinson, but Hoke is entering his third season at Ann Arbor and says success happens with everyone being included. Offense and defense, game-wise, I think that part of it, the terminology you speak and uh, the commitment, accountability, respect, and trust that we, we talk about on a daily basis, I think all those things have moved in a better direction. Number one, taking care of the football. Mm-hmm. In our five losses a year ago, we had 18 turnovers. And you, you can't play football that way. The 2011 team, uh, we had nine turnovers all year. And so taking care of the football, us doing a better job defensively of creating opportunities for our offense. You know, we've got to, we've got to get some, knock some balls out. We've got to put better, better four-man pressure on a quarterback so that maybe he's going to throw the ball a little high. Maybe he's going to make a bad throw. The, the sky's in the back end from a secondary standpoint. All those things. And it, it comes down to your toughness and your fundamentals and the techniques and, the, and how you play together as a team. But as we said right off the top, the question is, can Devin Gardner replace the graduated Denard Robinson as quarterback of the Wolverines? Devin started five games. Uh, we went three and two. So there's a lot of learning that uh, he's gone through and his preparation for this season. And, you know, all those those awards are great. But uh, the team awards of winning a championship is number one in his mind. And Michigan will open up on August 31st, Saturday, on the Big Ten Network against cross-state rival Central Michigan out of the MAC. Well, the Purdue Boilermakers have a new head coach this year taking over for Danny Hope, and that guy is Daryl Hazel. Last year, the Boilermakers were 6-7, and 3-5 and in the conference, and 0-1 against top 25 teams. Hazel took Kent State last year to a BCS Bowl game for the first time in that school's history, then took over the Boilermaker head coaching job. Hazel looks to hit the ground running with the Boilermakers in the Big Ten, but knows there is a difference, yet some similarities between Kent State and Purdue. Obviously, the talent level and the depth of the talent is much greater at Purdue, but the similarities is the approach to the game. And... uh, you know, how we see ourselves is critical. Uh, we make sure we have to see ourselves in a, in a positive and uh, try to foster that morale that we're a good football team because there's a lot of good players in our locker room. With success come expectations, and Hazel understands his year in Kent translates into excitement in West Lafayette. Well, I expect a tough physical team, a smart physical team, a team that's going to play with tremendous effort. And uh, I'd like to be in every football game in the fourth quarter and give us give ourselves a chance to win it but I also would like to be in the the month of November and have a chance to be playing for something special. You know, it's about our football team and the guys in our locker room and the preparation that we put in every single day, um, and then we will determine what our fate is. You know, Purdue was no slouch last year under Danny Hope, and now Darrell Hazel brings a new attitude to that ball club. They're going to open up on August 31st also, and they'll be in Cincinnati. Well, the surprise team in the Big Ten last year was the Northwestern Wildcats. They were 10-3 and overall, 5-3 and in conference play, and 0-1 against top 25 teams. They're going to open up against California on August 31st. And after finally getting the Wildcats a bowl victory, Pat Fitzgerald now has Northwestern eyeing bigger prizes in the Big Ten. I think it really started when we came back from the Gator Bowl and the way that our guys went about their business in the offseason from an attitude standpoint, from the way that we identified, hey, 25 great seniors have departed, great legacy that they've left of success. But let's build upon that, learn from what they've taught us, and now let's take that next step. And so the, the, the competition, the, the ability of guys to hold themselves and each other accountable, it was at an all-time high when we left the school year. As I visit with our players, they feel strongly about our chemistry. They feel great about the conditioning level that they're in. And now we just got to go back to our process, finish what we call our fourth quarter of our preparation, which is our preseason camp, and then find a way to win the opener, and then let's see where our team's at. Kane Cuckholder and Trevor Seaman 
were key ingredients in Northwestern success a year ago at quarterback, and Fitzgerald will probably stay with the two-quarterback system this season. I see it very similar to a year ago, where we used both guys, uh, played to their strengths, were able to really keep defenses off balance. It, that two-quarterback system really evolved as the season went along. We hope to be able to pick up where we left off at the end of the year, last month, uh, the way we played in the Gator Bowl, and continue to execute and score points. Uh, you know, Again, injuries are going to play a role in that, and, and we're going to be able to keep both guys healthy. But uh, it's nice having two quarterbacks when a lot of programs don't even have one. We're going to do whatever it takes to win. I mean, that's the bottom line. And last year we were able to use two quarterbacks to get that accomplished. You know, Hopefully we'll be able to continue to do that because both young men are dynamic. Skill sets are a little bit unique. Uh, they do have a lot of similar things together, too. So they're both great leaders, both unselfish, and I believe both can help lead us to a championship. Northwestern, one of the up-and-coming teams in the Big Ten, and Pat Fitzgerald, one of their great young coaches. They've got some great things on the horizon at Northwestern University. Another team with a new head coach is Wisconsin. Brett Bielema is gone after an 8-6 and six season, 4-4 four and four in conference play, and they were 1-2 and two against the top 25. They've brought in former Utah State coach Gary Anderson. Wisconsin was stunned when Bielema left, but they turned their sights on the future. And Anderson talks about his biggest hurdle to overcome in Madison. Well, I think the biggest transition is going to places you haven't been before. You know, and a lot of the kids will go through. They've been, they've been to Ohio State. They've been, you know, where we're going on the road, all the different scenarios. Um, and, and everything is new for us as a coaching staff, except for obviously Thomas Hammock and Ben Strickland. Uh, you know, Henry Mason's been there for a long time. Valuable information that we can gather from the kids, valuable information we can gather from the coaches that have been there. But uh, the, the newness, the stadium is a stadium, but travel is travel, but still it's going to places we've never been before. So I believe during the season that will be the biggest transition. The work week is the work week. Anderson is busy this fall trying to restore the big numbers Wisconsin fans have become accustomed to. Well, I think the key is every year is different. You know, every, right now everyone's talking about, hey, we're going to, you know, we want to contend. We want to win every game. We want to take care of our business. And, you know, I don't use terms as far as number of wins. Uh, I just use terms of we're moving ourselves into the fourth quarter, which is the important fourth quarter for us. Our kids understand that, you know, if you're going to go through this year and you're going to be four and four in the Big Ten, the chances you get into that championship game are, are very, very slim. And you try to evaluate the teams. And every year as we go through as coaches, uh, one of my goals as a head coach is to try to evaluate all the teams that you haven't played before. So right now as a coaching staff, we're kind of looking at it and saying BYU is the team we've played before. Um, so we've got a lot of education that we've gone through, a couple, three days on each team. Um, it's very competitive. If you watch this league, special teams is going to be huge. And I think if we're going to win uh, or whoever is going to win this conference at the end of the day and get to the championship game and then probably the championship game also, a lot of those games are going to be decided by special teams plays. It's been that way in this league for the last couple of years. I think it will continue to be, which shows parity in the end. Well, Anderson is a disciple of Urban Meyer at Ohio State, and he took over for whom I feel a great coach was at Utah State five years ago in McDenehy. McDenehy has built programs out west, and he wasn't able to win at Utah State. Anderson was. That means to me... Anderson knows what he's doing, and he's a good coach. So look for big things coming out of Wisconsin, not only this year, but in the upcoming seasons. Well, Michigan State was a team that really could have had an outstanding year one year ago, had it not been for the final two minutes of the ball games. They finished seven and six overall, three and five in conference play, and two and three against top 25 teams last year. And after so many close calls, and believe me, they lost a game to Ohio State by just one point in the opener of the Big Ten season, their coach, Mark D'Antonio, knows the difference between a season's success and failure comes down to just a few plays. Game of inches. You know, really, I mean, when you look at it, you know, we, we beat Boise, great football team, very close. We beat Wisconsin in overtime, very close. TCU, very close. Now we lose to Ohio State by one, and on and on, but... Uh, you know, things sort of hang in the balance at the end of a football game. I think experience, I think players making plays at the end of the game, coaches making good decisions at the end of the game, that all lends to that fact. But I think that gives us a little bit of an edge as we move forward. And we've experienced the highs and lows uh, in the past three years. And, you know, this past year, even though we won seven games, you know, it was a little bit of a down year for us. But uh, I think we'll rise. Uh, so, you know, our goal is to get to the Rose Bowl. Our goal is to be in that championship game with the opportunity to get to the Rose Bowl. Uh, we were very close uh, in 10 and 11 to doing that, but we didn't get over the hump. Last year we 
slip back a little bit. I think it's very important that we stick our foot in the ground, drive two steps forward. You know, we've had one step back last year, but when we move forward that we put our foot in the ground and drive forward with some confidence. Connor Cook is the man on the hot seat at quarterback right now for the Spartans. But who is going to play quarterback in the, the biggest question for the Spartans this fall because Cook is in the middle of some competition. Our quarterback uh, position is always in a high scrutiny, you know, just like everywhere else. But uh, I think we've got four guys uh, that are extremely talented. Maxwell, a lot of experience back this year. Cook has some experience in the bowl game. Uh, he had a good spring. So there's instant competition, I think, there. Uh, and then you've got Tyler O'Connor and Damian Terrier, two younger players that uh, have a great deal of ability. So it'll be important that you come out and play well in the fall camp. Uh, but we're going to play the best players, and I, I do think we'll play two guys early on. Uh, I think it's important to recognize that fact that we need to have more than just one guy as we move forward. Michigan State is going to open up on Friday night, August 30th, and that will be at home against Western Michigan. We're halfway through our look at the Big Ten Conference tonight on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Thanks for joining us this evening. Let's go now to Nittany Lion Land. Penn State in Happy Valley, where they started their four-year probationary period with an eight and four record overall, six and two in conference play, and one and one against the top 25. Their new head coach taking over for Joe Paterno a year ago, Bill O'Brien, out of New England, and he has a plan for the Nittany Lions, even knowing a team cannot compete for the championship. There's uh, fantastic support at Penn State, and, and that's, that's been there for a long time. The, the part of it that I really enjoy is, is the student body. You know, we have a 30,000-seat student section there in the end zone and right where we run out for the game, and, and that's filled to capacity every, every game, and they never sit down and they're chanting, uh, we are Penn State all the time. So we, we, that means a lot to our players, means a lot to our coaching staff. We love it. I wasn't convinced that Bill O'Brien was the man for the job when he first got it at Penn State. But after last year and looking at what he has done and looking at what he wants to accomplish in Happy Valley, it looks like he probably was the right man for the job. And his offensive system is quarterback friendly. Just look at Tom Brady. So Christian Hackenberg and Tyler Ferguson battling for the quarterback spot this fall is a very important battle. Well, you know, it's it's we're going to let it play out over the last... Uh, we'll have to make a decision uh, based on uh, who's played the best to that po point because that's what's fair for the team. We, we've got to give that starting quarterback uh, enough reps to be prepared for the Syracuse game. So we'll about halfway through training camp, we'll make a decision on who that is. They're two talented guys, Tyler Ferguson and Christian Hackenberg, and they'll battle it out, and we'll make a good decision for the team. And Penn State is going to open up on Saturday, August 31st, that will be at Syracuse in the Orange Dome, and that game will be televised on ABC. Minnesota had a great year a year ago for the Golden Gophers. They were 6-7 and seven overall, 2-6 and six in conference play, and 0-1 against top 25 teams, but they played some great football down the stretch and even getting to a bowl game. Third-year Minnesota coach Jerry Kill took uh, looks to 2013 as a season to keep the Gophers moving forward in the Big Ten standings. Well, I think our, our strength coaches have done a great job. Uh, Coach Klein's been with me for 21 years. Uh, we have great continuity on our staff. Uh, you know, we've been together for a long time. Uh, I think we know what we need to do. This is about the third or fourth program we've done it at. And, uh, you know, I just think our kids uh, have worked hard, I think, coming off the bowl game. And even though we didn't win it, I think we had some momentum of where we wanted to go. So they've done a great job. We've gotten stronger and, and more athletic and, and now just excited about seeing, uh, you know, if the work's paid off. It's been 46 years since Minnesota won a Big Ten title in football. Kill talks about the team and how it can get back into football prominence. I just think you got to continue to work hard and, and continue to sell the principles and the core of your program, what, what you expect, the mission. And, uh, you know, and, and stay, you don't, don't get wandered off when you start to struggle. But, uh, uh, you know, I think our, our fans that have been close to it uh, understand we're making great strides. We've done a great job in the, in the classroom and, and uh, in our APR situation. Uh, we've gotten better on the field, and we just need to keep moving it forward, which uh, I think our team's excited about doing.
Oh, I, I think it, our fans have been tremendously loyal over the 46, 47 years of college football. They they, they love Gopher athletics, and and they're they are starving uh, for a successful football program. And and uh, when we get this thing going, uh, you know, our state uh, I will be extremely excited because they've been waiting for a long time. The University of Minnesota is the sixth largest institution in the country today. So there's no reason that this ball club cannot move back into Big Ten football hierarchy. Well, let's continue moving out west and go to Nebraska, where last year Bo Pelini ran the Cornhuskers to a 10-4 and record, 7-1 and in conference play, and 1-2 and against top 25 ball clubs behind his quarterback, Taylor Martinez. Pelini is looking at 2013 to get the Huskers over the hump as Big Ten Conference football champions. I don't know about if you build off losing a football game, because we got there. You know, you, you did something right to get there. But, you know, you, it makes you hopefully that much more hungry. Um, I think we have a chance to be a better football team this year than we were a year ago, and, and that will give us a chance to, you know, knock that door in and, and hopefully for a home and championship. You know, nine-plus games for five years, I think. We're one of four teams in the country that have gotten that done. But So we've been consistent. But we want to get over the top and, and bring a trophy home and, and compete for a national championship. You know, at the end of the day, we want to win them all. And that, until we do that, you know, we won't be satisfied. Pelini is an Ohio State disciple, and he is a defensive-oriented football coach. He expects a lot from his defensive squad, and he wants them to be dominant in the year of 2013. I think so. You know, there's, it's a great potential in that group, a very talented group. But, you know, I, like I told them, and I mean, the challenge I put, you know, put to them since they were been around me is, you know, you're going to get what you earn. And, you know, there are a lot of people saying, you know, we're going to be offensive-minded, and yeah, we, we have a lot of experience coming back on offense, but uh, you know, our standards are been changed on defense and. Uh, even though we're not, there's not a lot of experience in that group. We have a lot of talent, and the, the potential is there. And and uh, to get there, it's going to just take a lot of hard work. Nebraska is going to open up with Wyoming on August 31st. That game will be televised on the Big Ten Network. Iowa's been down over the past four or five years, and that's a problem in Hawkeye Land. They were four and eight a year ago, two and six in conference play, and against the Top 25 teams, they were 0-2. After missing out on the postseason last year, Kirk Ferentz has Iowa looking to bounce back in 2013. Well, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, we went through the same thing in 07. That's the last time we didn't go to a bowl, and uh, those are the only two times we haven't gone since the 2000 season. So, you know, we, we've uh, been down the road once, and uh, I think this, the key is for everybody to turn the page. Uh, you know, learn from last year, certainly, but the most important thing is work on the things that we can correct and get better at. Since 2001, we, we've entered every season wanting to be the Big Ten champions, and that probably wasn't realistic in 99 or 2000. It may not have been realistic last year or 07, but, uh, you know, we feel like we have a chance to have a good football team. We also realize our margin for error is a lot smaller than a lot of teams, too, so it's a matter of how well we can run the race. And I'm not sure it's very realistic for the Hawkeyes to win the Big Ten Conference Championship this year, but... Ferentz has experience returning on the offensive line and expects it to be the strong part of their football squad. Coming out of spring practice, that's one of the areas probably we consider uh, to be one of our strengths. I think that with our tight end position included uh, right now should be one of our strengths this year. Yeah, our best teams have had pretty solid play up front, and I think we have a chance to have that this year. We've got a good group of guys. We've got good experience and, uh, again, good leadership. So if you combine that with our tight end position, I think you know hopefully that can be a strength of our football team. But that being said, we're not there yet. We know we have a lot of work to do in the next month. Well, the Hawkeyes have been losers, as I said, over the past few years, and Ferentz has been on the hot seat. The alumni may not put up with another losing season in Iowa. Moving back to Illinois, well, it was a very rough 2012 season under new head coach Tim Beckman. 2-10 and overall, 0-8 in conference play, and against the top 25 teams, they were 0-1, and, and after a rough first season, Beckman looks to improve the Illini in 2013. Well, no question, tough year, and it's about moving forward, exactly what you just mentioned. Uh, this program has to move forward, and, it, you know, in my opinion, not just last year, but even years previous, it was not moving forward. So we have, as a football team, that's where it starts. 
Just up the road in little Orville, Ohio, is where Illinois looked to strengthen their defense as they picked up a freshman linebacker, Mason Monheim. Well, Monheim turned out to be the stalwart part of their defense, and now he's a sophomore. And that was the bright spot for the defense a year ago, as Tim Beckman talks well, about. Well, I'll tell you, we're a young defensive football team, but Mason Monheim, uh, to step in and to be a starter in the Big Ten as a true freshman just doesn't happen a whole bunch. Been around some great ones like A.J. Hawk and some of those young men that were at Ohio State. But Mason Monheim's got the same background and build that, uh, that those young men have. And that's what gave him the opportunity to play and play early. And he did play early. Illinois is going to open up with Southern Illinois on August 31st. That game will also be televised on the Big Ten Network. Indiana, also a team that struggled during the 2012 season. They were 4-8 and eight overall, 2-4 and four in conference play. I'm sorry, 2-6 and six in conference play. And against top 25 teams, they were 0-1. Kevin Wilson, the second-year head coach, feels good about his Hoosiers team and thinks the time is right for them to make some noise in the Big Ten Conference. We, we don't win enough games yet because we don't play strong enough defense and we don't have the physical presence on offense. You get in the scoring zone, you get in the red zone, into the games, you got to pound it out a little bit. We have been a little bit young in the offensive line. Started two freshmen a year ago, started two true freshmen the year before that. So now these guys, those guys that were last year, Freshmen and sophomores, now sophomores, juniors. We're stronger, we're bigger, our tight end play needs to be better. With Trey Roberson in the game, a little bit more running quarterback, and with all three healthy, even the other two quarterbacks will run. So we've got to make some strides. To win the close games, to be successful in the Big Ten, you've got to be physical. We've shown we can be a good offense. We haven't shown we can be a physical offense, and I think that's what has held us back in our first two years at IU. As you heard Wilson talk about, Trey Roberson broke his leg in Game 2 last year, but he is back for the Hoosiers this year. Yet, that quarterback position is still up in the air. Well, he's, he's actually in a very healthy competition right now. He is full tilt cleared, was for winter, was for spring. He's a lot bigger, stronger. Unfortunately, his backup threw 407 passes. Got a lot of experience, Cam Kaufman. And our freshman that then played a little bit with Cam, Nate Sudfeld, is maybe might be the most gifted one of the, of the group. Trey, a little bit more athletic. He is full tilt. Thought his spring was positive, but the other guys were. No one is separated, so it's, a, I think, a healthy thing right now. And Indiana will open up with Indiana State. That's going to be on Thursday night, August 29th. That will also be on the Big Ten Network. And that brings us to the last team in the Big Ten Conference for our preview tonight. And the last team is also the second-ranked team in the country, according to the coaches' poll. And they're also the favorite to win the Big Ten Championship. And that school is the Ohio State Buckeyes. And why? Because they are coming back from a 12-0 season a year ago. They were 8-0 in conference play, 3-0 against the top 25 teams just a year ago. But they were ineligible to play in a bowl game, thus ineligible for the national championship and ineligible to play in the Big Ten championship game. But all that changes this year, Urban Meyer's second year. It was a perfect season for the squad. That's what they wanted. That's what they got. No bowl game because of the NCAA sanctions. And as I said, the Buckeyes, number two in the country, second-year coach Urban Meyer is putting the team through the steps and expecting a lot this year from junior quarterback Braxton Miller. I love Braxton. Uh, he, he's he's getting close. I won't say he's game ready yet, but he's he knows where the. I mean, I, I'm embarrassed to say this, but a year ago we we weren't ready. Um, you know, I'm not sure we knew the protect. I'm not. I can tell you, we weren't clean on protections. We weren't clean on where the receivers were. We just weren't clean enough. And it's because of the new system, young quarterback, and new staff. And now uh, uh, he's getting pretty close to game ready. He knows the offense. Everybody knew that the year off that Urban Meyer spent between Florida and Ohio State, that he was in love with Braxton Miller. He just enjoyed watching this kid play. Now, who Miller is going to throw to this year at Ohio State is the question mark. And not only is Meyer looking for Miller to be a leader, but he's also expecting leadership 
from others on this football team. Number five is one of them. Braxton Miller is one of them. Our offense lines are lead. That's who we live and die by in offense. It's Jack Muhor, it's Corey Lindsley, Andrew Noel, Marcus Hall. Uh, without question, another uh, leader on offense has stepped up is a guy named Jeff Hireman, a really good tight end for us. It really, about midway through the season, became a factor for us. On defense, that's where you lost it all. That's where you lost your, you know, your majority of leaders. So you have Christian Bryant, C.J. Barnett, and Ryan Shazier trying to assume that role of leaders, and uh, they've done a very admirable job to this point. And what happens with the Buckeyes is going to mainly depend upon how good their defensive team is going to be. Now, Meyer has won the national championship twice in his career at Florida, but is Ohio State there yet? I don't, I don't think we're there yet. You know, okay. I, I certainly think there's some, uh, this, this puzzle's very attractive right now, but it's not put together correctly yet. We're still, does that make sense? So, I mean, there, there's some very attractive pieces because of an injury, because of this, because of that. It's not together yet, so... That's what this next uh, eight, nine, ten practices are all about. I, I do believe we're very talented. Uh, I believe that we'll be playing for a championship sometime in November. Uh, but when you start throwing around that big one, I don't like to go there. Well, that's what a lot of Buckeye fans are hoping for, playing for a championship in November. They're looking at being in Indianapolis for the Big Ten championship game on the first weekend in December. So how does the Big Ten conference look to us? It's definitely got to be between Ohio State, Michigan, and Northwestern. Northwestern, I think, is going to be a dark horse. Don't count them out. They're one of those ball clubs that are very tenacious, very physical, and they look forward to this season with a strong anticipation. Ohio State, they're not looking at just the Big Ten Championship. Their goals are more lofty. They're looking towards a national championship. And Michigan... They are an up-and-coming team, but as we said earlier, the play of Devin Gardner at quarterback is really going to facilitate what this team is going to do during this night, this 2013 football season. Look for Ohio State to win the Big Ten Conference with Michigan a close second, Northwestern a close third, but I wouldn't be surprised if Wisconsin is the team that Ohio State goes up against in the Big Ten Championship game. Now, the first coach to be fired, I really think it's going to be Kirk Ferentz at Iowa. That alumni is already upset. He's been rumored to be going to a lot of NFL teams throughout the years. Let's see if this is his last year in Iowa. And it's probably time for some new blood with the Hawkeyes. A dark horse to be maybe one of the first coaches to be fired in the Big Ten? It might be Tim Beckman at Illinois. He's under a lot of pressure. Certainly, he's only in his second year but finishing winless in the conference just a year ago, that does not bode well for him coming back this year. He needs to put up at least a couple of wins in the conference in order to save his job. So look for Ference and Beckman to be probably the two favorites to be the teams fired as coach of the year, as, as coach uh, this season. Now, the other question, Braxton Miller. Can he win the Heisman Trophy? Certainly. It all depends on what happens in Texas A&M with Johnny Manziel. Nonetheless, Braxton Miller does definitely have an opportunity at winning the Heisman Trophy this year. So that's going to do it for our Big Ten Conference preview this week. Next week we're going to look at some ancillary teams, a little bit at the ACC, and also Notre Dame that will be coming back from their blowout loss to Alabama in the BCS championship game. And all that's going to happen next Thursday night here at the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Join us then at 7 o'clock for that as we bring that to you. And we're also going to talk about some other items next Thursday night also. But that's our look. Don't forget the college football season begins in just a couple of weeks. Hard to believe, but it's right around the corner. That's going to do it for our Ultimate Sports Talk show here this evening. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to join us on Monday night as Mark Donahue and I talk about the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. That's here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. 9 o'clock on Monday night, and we'll be back next Thursday night at 7 to talk to you more about the sports scene right here on the Ultimate Sports Talk show. Our thanks to you for listening. I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next week, good night, everyone. Good night, everyone.